We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. and You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump, Jenna Ellis. Well, Attorney General Garland answered or didn't really answer most questions that were posed yesterday by the House Judiciary Committee about targeting Catholics and giving the Bidens preferential treatment. So according to Town Hall testifying on Capitol Hill Wednesday in front of the House Judiciary Committee, Attorney General Merrick Garland was grilled over the FBI targeting of Catholic churches and undercover agents infiltrating mass services. When asked to explain why the DOJ was using the power of the federal government to target worshipers, Garland claimed he couldn't give a definition of traditional Catholic. So Congressman Jeff Van Drew asked and pressed him, why is it so hard for Attorney General Garland to just say no? This is an amazing exchange. Listen to Cut 7. Do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists, yes or no? Let me answer what you've said in that long list of... of, I'm at, of it's, I'll control, be happy to answer all of those. Attorney uh, General, just, I control the time. I'm going to ask you to answer well, the you, questions you, I asked. You ask. controlled time by asking me a substantial number of things. And I, let me I didn't give, ask you those things. I, I made a statement. The, Attorney will, General, through the chair, I ask you, do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? Okay. I have no idea what, your, what the traditional uh, means here. May I answer your question? Yes the idea no. that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous, Mr. so absurd. Mr. Attorney General, it was your FBI your that did this. It was your FBI that was sending, and we have the memos, we have the emails, we're sending undercover agents into Catholic churches. Both I and the director this of the FBI the, have said the that we were appalled have said that we were appalled by that memo. So then you agree the that FBI, they're not extremists? We were appalled by that memo. Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? I think that are they extremists or not, Attorney General? Everything in that memo is. Are appalling. they extremists or not? I'm asking a simple question. Say no. Why is it so hard for him to say no? So this, of course, is always the exchange back and forth. And uh, Garland probably isn't really sure of anything, including whether or not um, he's a man or a woman. Uh, He wasn't asked that question, but he probably would have said, well, I'm not a biologist. But the one thing, the only thing that he was very certain of is that he's not a politician and 
nothing nothing about the DOJ is political. That's that's really the only thing that uh, he absolutely said no to. So uh, Garland was also questioned about showing favoritism toward the Biden family. Representative Mike Johnson said A.G. Garland was true to form today, said he couldn't recollect speaking to anyone at the FBI about Hunter Biden investigation, said the FBI whistleblowers aren't truthful. It's clear why 65 percent of Americans don't trust his DOJ. So also on the House Judiciary Committee is Representative Tom Tiffany from the great state of Wisconsin, and he joins us this morning. So Representative Tiffany, um, this was just, I think, a frustrating exchange, and it must have been for all of you as well to just never get a straight answer, even to something as obvious as our traditional Catholics violent extremists. That that seems like, like a pretty simple, you know, can a man become a woman? Just no. Yeah, Jenna, so first of all, uh, first chance to be on your show. Thank you for having me on. It's a uh, uh, pleasure to be here. But, yeah, I mean, so why do people not, why do people stonewall that are witnesses like Merrick Garland, why do they not answer questions? Because they can't answer the question because then they're exposed to the public. And then the public knows where they stand. They j- Merrick Garland has a really big problem with a, uh, FBI and the Department of Justice that is, I don't believe, run by him. And they are really of an extreme ideology that have been um, put in these positions as career DOJ employees. Eric Holder started it back in the Obama administration, and they are in there deep, and they are advancing their ideology. Merrick Garland is just their front man. And that's um, that's a really, I think, apt way to put it, that this is all about their extreme ideology rather than simply law enforcement. And so from the House uh, Judiciary Committee's perspective, was there any headway that was made yesterday in terms of um, an, an overall purpose in, in attempting to at least uh, get something from Merrick Garland that is, that is useful to your legislative inquiry, or was this just an exercise in frustration? Yeah, so I think there was some advancement, largely an exercise in frustration, Jenna, but I think it was headway made in a few ways because there was a lot of focus on David Weiss. And um, I touched on a little bit in my questioning where David Weiss gave this sweetheart deal or wanted to give the sweetheart deal to Hunter Biden in regards to the gun charges, tax charges, stuff like that. The judge saw through it and smelled a rat and said, hey, we're not going to take this deal. And then Merrick Garland says, this same David Weiss who tried to cut the sweetheart deal, we're going to have him oversee as special counsel for the Biden case. And I think as the public understands that more and more, um, that David Weiss is not a legitimate special counsel. He's there to run out the clock. And that, I believe, we are advancing the ball slowly in that regard. And so, uh, Representative Tom Tiffany, um, what is what are the next steps then? Because obviously, the, just even these two topics between um, the FBI targeting uh, Christians and and traditional Catholics, and then yet giving a, a sweetheart deal from the DOJ to Hunter Biden and their preferred. I mean, this shows that there are really um, two different tiers of of justice. And so where can this go from here in terms of accountability and how, if anything, does this factor into the upcoming um, impeachment inquiry? 
Yeah, I think we just need to continue to expose these things for the American people. Because remember, about half the American people, Jenna, they have no idea this stuff is going on. If they get their news from the nightly news, which many people do yet, they've not been exposed to this at all. And we need to continue to um, give this information to the American people. Now, we're going to have expanded authorities with this now being an impeachment inquiry. We need to use those authorities appropriately to continue to roll information out. Because I got to tell you, I really do think that we've handled this appropriately in the House of Representatives over the last three to four months. Week after week, more information comes out. You know, whether it's the 20 phone calls, the 20 shell companies, the $20 million that have been funneled to the Biden family, information continues to come out week after week. And now we're going to have enhanced authority with the impeachment inquiry, and we can get more information to the American people. And I think you're going to see a lot more stuff come out here. And I'm very the walls are closing in around Joe Biden at this point. And that's encouraging to hear because I think a lot of the American people who are paying attention to things besides the nightly news and the mainstream media that, of course, wants to avoid that or run cover for Joe Biden um, have felt like this was slow walked a little bit and asking why uh, Speaker McCarthy didn't uh, try to start that inquiry uh, within even the first couple weeks of taking over his speakership. So from the perspective um, of the the House Judiciary Committee in particular, um, how how does all of this in terms of what where your focus is and where um, Chairman Jim Jordan's focus is in terms of helping that broader effort um, of the inquiry to kind of get this going? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question, and I get it back home. When are you guys going to do something about this? And what I say to people consistently, Jenna, is that I will not be Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi. I will not be a Democrat where it's ready, fire, aim in regards to an impeachment, where you go find the evidence after declaring that you're going to go straight to impeachment. I believe you're innocent until proven guilty in America. And that's why this steady, methodical process that we've used over the last number of months that have shown that we are to the uh, point where we need enhanced authority, like with the impeachment inquiry, so we can get more information. I think that we are at that appropriate time. And I think it's good that we've done it in this methodical manner where multiple committees have under, that have unearthed all this evidence. I mean, let's throw out another piece of evidence. There's over 180 transactions, Jenna, that the banks in the United States of America have flagged that were questionable that came from the Biden. So that $20 million plus that they've received from actors in foreign countries, the big banks were flagging these. So you, you have all this evidence that's out there at this point. Now we have to find out, was this bribery? Was this something that violates the Constitution of the United States of America? And do we go to impeachment? I will not predetermine that. The evidence will take us there if it's there. And so in other words, you're principled 
And I wish that uh, more members of Congress on all sides were principled. And this wasn't just an exercise in politics, which it which we know that it was from Schiff and Pelosi and Schumer and all of the rest with uh, the two sham impeachments of President Trump, the Russia hoax. I mean, everything that they did to try to distract from President Trump's four years in office was an exercise in, in politicking. And so for for this, I think that that is absolutely the right approach. And um, other members who have, have joined me on the program um, that, that are you know, your fellow members uh, in, in the Republican caucus have also said that. And I think that's important to highlight because conservatives and, and you know, people who call into this show um, across America, when I talk to them, people are frustrated that it seems like there isn't accountability. But the process does take time. And to make sure that it is done methodically, to follow the law and the Constitution, that is incredibly important. And um, and so in terms of, of, of going back to, to this hearing in just the last few minutes I have with you, um, Representative Tom Tiffany from the great state of Wisconsin, you also had the opportunity to ask uh, AG Merrick Garland about the cartels in Mexico that are bringing fentanyl across uh, the U.S. border and how Biden's open borders um, are are a threat to the American public, and that's also a basis that I have heard from you know a lot of different uh, places that 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 is a concern as well that Joe Biden is being derelict in office. Oh, clearly, it's an invasion that's happening at our border right now. You perhaps have seen the pictures, Jenna. They're bringing them by the trainloads now. There was just, um, I see some information released by Todd Benzman, one of the most authoritative figures out there in regards to the border. Over a million people were flowing into the United States that are illegal immigrants over the past year. I've been saying to people, they're pole vaulting them in now. Why do you think the numbers are dropping down at the border? They were for a couple months because they were flying them in. And so it just continues apace. But in regards to the questioning of Garland yesterday, in complete denial, and he's simply a front man, no different than Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas, in regards to the border, where he's saying, oh, we're, doing, we're putting more money into fighting fentanyl, we're going after the cartels, blah, blah, blah. What's the number one way you um, get control of the border? You shut it down, and they refuse to do it. Let's start. Remain in Mexico, similar to uh, what we had in the previous administration, and you'll be successful. They refuse. Every single Democrat, including Merrick Garland, refuse to acknowledge that it's Joe Biden's fault on January 20th of 2021 when he said, we are going to open the southern border. That's when the invasion began. That's when the fentanyl really began to flow and they refuse to do anything about it. And the American people suffer as a result of that. Number one killer of young people ages 18 to 45 in America, and these people won't do anything about it. It is detestable, Jenna, what is going on. It, it really is. And it is so frustrating, I think, for Americans to see that our government that is uh, run in the executive right now by the Democrats are so derelict and are just simply flat out refusing to protect the American people, live up to their oath of office and up, uh, to uphold the U.S. Constitution. So Representative Tom Tiffany, really appreciate you joining me today and uh, shining a light on the truth. So we will continue to pray for you, uh, to pray for your fellow members um, across the aisle as well in Congress so that we can continue to uh, follow the law and the Constitution 
thank you so much for being a great advocate, not only for your state, for, but for all Americans in Congress. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, speaking of solutions and wanting to actually advance problem solving in America, there is a great and fantastic new book called Do Not Comply, Taking Power Back from America's Corrupt Elite. This is by my good friend, Will Witt, who was formerly of Prager University, and uh, you will know him from all of his commentary on social media that uh, he exposes the left so well. And this is his new book, and uh, it says, The America You Grew Up in is no longer here. Our country is in sharp decline, yet we often fail to truly call out the culprits, culprits responsible for it. Who are the corruptors of our great country? They are politicians, both Democrat and Republican. They are businessmen. They are celebrities. They are media executives. They are scientists. They are the elite, and they are selfish. In Do Not Comply, one of America's most articulate and fast-rising political commentators on the right exposes the elite's many lies holding America hostage. So my good friend, Will Witt, author of this book, Do Not Comply, joins us now. So, uh, Will, this is a great project. And um, what, what can we do about this whole problem of America's elite? Well, that's quite a big question, Jenna. And again, thank you for having me on. But I think it really comes down to, which I explain in the book, is that it comes down to integrity and individual choices. There's so much out there, and so many of these elites want you to conform, they want you to comply, they want you to be complacent, they want you to be safe and risk-averse. And instead of that, we have to be brave in the face of all of these horrible things around us that we see. It's so easy to say, well, I can just align myself with the Republican Party, or I can just mask up and get the next jab and all these different things, when reality... These are the things that turn us into a slave. These are the things that they want from us. We need to be stronger in the face of fear and say, look, I'm not going to go along with your, your mandates, your, your dictacs, your, your, your edicts. I'm going to stand up and be stronger than what you have told me to do. And I know that sounds kind of, I guess, philosophical in that sense and instead of practical, but humans make 35,000 choices every single day. I can't tell you what to do with all 35,000 choices that you do, but I do know that everyone has a chance to be brave in, in at least a few of these choices that they make. Well, and it is philosophical, though, right? Because it does come down to your basic worldview. And if you have a biblical worldview and that uh, commands and, and dictates how we live our lives and make our daily 35,000 choices, I mean, a lot of those come down to practical things or a matter of wisdom. But then there is a fundamental difference between right and wrong. And, you know, integrity is loyalty to what's true and right. And the Bible tells us how to live Christianly. And so when you're talking about, you know, how some of these, how some people just say, well, I'll join the Republican Party or I will be a quote unquote conservative, whatever they think that means, then they're following a party platform instead of being grounded in the correct worldview framework that then dictates how they decision make. 
Yeah, well, I think that we're looking for political solutions for answers of this country that aren't really political answers. I know a lot of people, I'll talk to them, and they'll ask, you know, when will America change? When will the Republican Party change? When will Joe Biden change? When will my community change? But they're never asking themselves, when will I change? When will I be the person that I want others to be? We're so quick to go and point out how others are failing, how others are doing wrong in this country, but they won't ever look at themselves and say, well, what can I do better to be the person that I know I can truly be? We need to start looking for the truth instead of just the right answer, quote-unquote right political answer, the left answer, the the uh, you know based answer, whatever it is. We need to be looking for the true answer because – you have things that happen like this, these latest Trump comments on abortion, and we have people who are very pro-life who are coming in and, and supporting Donald Trump in this. And for me, you know, I, I've loved Trump for, for years and years. I know you have, too, before for years and years, working with him, of course. And then you see him say something like that, and I cannot support his comments on abortion that he made. Yeah, and, and it's that's such a great point that we are often, as Americans, looking for political solutions instead of looking for truthful solutions and and making sure that whatever the comment is, uh, like, like the Trump comments on abortion, it shouldn't make a difference whether we support Trump or we don't support Trump. We have to look at the comment itself and say, is that in agreement and alignment with the truthful biblical standard? And if it is, then great, we support that comment. If it's not, which it clearly isn't, then we need to challenge that and say, no, I disagree with that. But so many people, even those who would call themselves based and on the right, have this this almost like blinders on to say, well, I have to be part of a tribalist uh, party culture that if I don't just assent to whatever is uh, the mandate from whether it's, you know, the MAGA group, the Republican Party, or some other political group and solution, um, if that's Trump supporters, then people are unwilling to take a stand and 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 they'll say, well, I'm not complying against the left. Look, I'm so great in my decision making. But then they're assenting and they're they're complying to something that's fundamentally wrong within their own group. So so I think that your point that you make that this is um, this is corruption and this is this is wrong and we have to, to bring this back to a biblical worldview on all sides, both Republicans and Democrats, is really profound here because what you're doing is calling us back to integrity. I think so. And I know that it's not the sexiest message in the world. You know, I wrote this book and I could have written a book about here's why the 2020 election was stolen, you know, these kinds of things. And granted, those are also important topics, but I wanted to write something that was more than that. I wanted to write a book for humanity, a book that wasn't just for Republicans, a book that wasn't just raging against the the issues of our time. I wanted something that could stand the test of time, that people could look back on and say, look, these these are solutions. Like I have a, a chapter in the book called Becoming a Hero in a Dangerous World. And a chapter like this is not so related to the news, but I felt like it was the most important chapter that I wrote in the book, because these are the types of values and the types of things that drive history forward. Do you want to be someone who is is just living life and answering emails all day in some urban city until you, you eventually die? Or do you want to do something brave with your life and, and respectable and honest and do it for God, become a warrior for God? We have to ask those kind of things. And of course, it's it's hard. I know it's difficult, and I know a lot of people don't know where to start, but 
It's about thinking about that integrity and thinking about the truth and saying, well, how can I further exemplify myself in this? Because the left, you, you think about how the left works, how the Democrats work, and you have all these young people turning to the left because leftism gives people meaning. Of course, it's a false meaning. Of course, it's, it's a new religion, a pseudo-religion that they have created where they are now the Messiah. But leftism comes in, takes rid of, uh, gets rid of biblical principles in America, and says, we have this new religion for you, this religion of leftism, climate change, gender ideology, Black Lives Matter, whereas conservatives, we don't really have that sense of meaning. We're trying to talk to young people about tax policy and, and, and divide, division between Trump and DeSantis and Vivek and this kind of stuff. And, and to me, that's not a great solution for, you know, getting people on board with, with finding meaning in their lives. There's a, a sore lack of meaning in America today. There's a sense of nihilism, like nothing really matters. That's why so many young people are apathetic towards politics because they think their vote doesn't matter, because they, they find no meaning in the conservative Republican politics, whereas the left, that's, that's all that it is. It is a new sense of meaning. Conservatives need to change their messaging to say, hey, look, this is what life is really about, and this is how you gain meaning from a, a political-slash-biblical worldview. Yeah, and I'm speaking with Will Witt, who's the author of uh, this brand new book, Do Not Comply. He's the best-selling author of How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies, also a great book. And uh, Will, that's such a, a great point that the Democrats and the left, of course, has their religion of wokeism. They have, and, and they're actually more ardent believers, unfortunately, than a lot of the people on the right. And they believe in their religion, and they are advancing that within policy and politics at every return uh, because they are true believers. And when you look at uh, what the right is doing, if we, you know, not all Christians, of course, I mean, there are certainly Christians that then they are conservatives because their worldview informs them on that. But there are a lot of people who are engaged in right wing politics, um, if we want to you know, term it that, um, but or conservative politics or the MAGA movement or the Republican Party, um, you know, what have you. But it, it seems like to a lot of the people who are maybe promoting capitalism or promoting just a political engagement, on the right, they're using politics as a substitute for meaning and religion. And and this is why I think there are so many people that are so myopically focused on following personality and following this, um, this MAGA movement instead of being grounded in a Christian worldview and being principled and then saying, and, and you can support Trump being principled. I'm certainly not suggesting that. But what I'm saying is we should be able to call out things that we disagree with that go against and violate the biblical worldview instead of replacing politics on the right with a genuine biblical worldview and the Christian faith as our religion. Yeah, Nietzsche kind of said it best, God is dead and we have killed him. In a, in a post-Christian Western world, you, you really don't have all these people coming to these kinds of values, unfortunately, and they're embarrassed of it. I talk to Christians in America, and I'll say, well, you know, are you a Christian? They'll say, yeah, you know, I guess so, but I don't really talk about my faith. Um, or I'm embarrassed to talk about it because I don't know what people will think. You go to places around the world, you go to Indonesia, and pastors' heads are cut off and put on spikes outside their church to deter people from becoming Christians. Christian women in the Middle East have acid thrown in their faces, and Christian businesses are burned to the ground. In China, with the Uyghur camps and, and, and the concentration camps, essentially, I mean, you have Christians who are killed for their faith. 
they're tested and they, they choose to not denounce their faith. They would rather be dead that denounce their faith. And you have Christians in America who say, oh, no, I don't want to talk about it. I'm embarrassed because of what people will think of me. We have this, this massive sense of weakness of being a Christian and, and having these real biblical values in the West today. And look, I'm, I'm no, no moral paragon of, of, of perfection or anything like that. I, I hate to come on a moral pedestal or a, a high horse and say, you know, you just need to live this way because we're all sinners. I'm a sinner, everything like this. But it's about trying to be better and trying to be brave with our values and not not compensating or being complacent to what these people want us to be. Yeah, and and also recognizing that we are called as Christians to have a standard that is the truth of God, the person of truth who is God, and that has to be the objective measure of how we decision make and the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And you know, it's 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 so fascinating to me that that some of these um, these people on the right as well are so outspoken about their political beliefs but are very hesitant about their Christian faith. And if people are more willing to sacrifice for a political party than they are to promote the truth of the gospel of Christ, there is a problem with their priorities. And and so I think from the perspective of saying, let's pull back from just a political engagement and look at what's actually going on in America where we've excised God from culture and then finding the solutions that are grounded in the biblical worldview is what it's all about. And so in um, in the end of this book, you have a chapter as well, you know, God save America. And, and I think that really encapsulates if, what we need for America is a return to God. And, and you specifically have um, personal experience with that, not growing up as a Christian, finding the Lord, and having that genuine transformation of your own worldview and outlook, um, which has now informed your decision-making as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite the testimony when I talk to people, I suppose, and I, I tell them about my transformation and, and everything that's happened to me. It, it, it feels sometimes like I, I know that people can look at the world and think, man, it's, it's hopeless, I'm so cynical about it, but if, if truly, if it could happen to me, it could happen to anyone here who is listening to this show right now. And I think that when you were talking about conservatism and, and people being so outspoken about their political beliefs before, people know that they can gain worldly notoriety, worldly fame, and, and retweets and all this from being a conservative. I mean, you know, when I started out in, in doing this political stuff about eight years ago, there wasn't really many people with these Twitter followers and, and influencers and this kind of stuff talking about conservative politics and, and religion and faith and all that. And now you go online, every single person is some new conservative influencer. It, because they know that it's a, a path to to fame, and and people will will like the things that they say. So it's hard to know who the true people are. But I think that we have to look at all of this, like you said, from that biblical view, and look at the influencers, and look at the the media personalities, and the people who who get the most retweets, and say, okay, is this person doing this for themselves, or are they talking about these things for the glory of God? 
That's mm, so well said. And and you're absolutely right that a lot of um, the so-called conservative influencers and the commentators, they're saying what is is best for their own brand instead of being ambassadors for Christ and having that standard uh, be the, the basis of everything that they do. And whether they're liked or not, I mean, we certainly have examples all throughout scripture of the prophets who spoke truth uh, to a culture that did not want to hear what they had to say, but they did it anyway because they were called with a purpose to speak the truth. And those are the people that we need to listen to. And this is why this book um, is so great. And I'm, I'm just um, about halfway through it. And I've so appreciated uh, your testimony as well, Will, as you know, we've been friends over the years. And I'm just so proud of you for always engaging the truth and for standing firm as a very outspoken Christian first. And for that display of your faith and and showing by example, especially to young people, how you need to decision make based grounded in a Christian worldview instead of whatever saying just whatever is is popular politically. So thank you for your testimony for writing this book. Where can people find you and find the book? Do not comply. Thank you so much, Jenna. You guys can find me at The Will Wit all over social media, and you can order the book anywhere books are sold. On Amazon right now, it is 30% off as well, so pick it up on Amazon today before they raise the price again, those those crazy people on Amazon. <laughs> but before you're kicked off of, you know, Amazon for not complying, but yeah, the book is Do Not exactly. Comply by my good friend Will Witt, and we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. The medical establishment has been playing God with the lives of innocent babies for decades now. Many have grown callous because it seems surreal to think that over 64 million babies have been lost. Preborn will not stand silent, nor should we. We cannot stand by and let babies die at the hand of abortion. That's why preborn exists, to stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. The only defense for these precious babies is their heartbeat, which begins at just three weeks and can be heard on ultrasound by five weeks. When a mother making that ultimate choice hears her baby's heartbeat and sees the precious life inside of her, the majority of the time she will choose life. By sponsoring an ultrasound for a mother, you are being the voice of the preborn. Please join Preborn in the cause for life. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Speaking of not complying and making good decisions that are based on a biblical, truthful worldview, uh, there is a German family that has been here in the United States for over a decade, and the Homeschool Legal Defense Association is fighting to keep them in the United States uh, instead of being deported back to Germany. This has been an incredible a case that has been ongoing for years, and uh, HSLDA has been advocating for these homeschooling parents. And Kevin Bowden, who is an attorney and director of HSLDA International, joins me 
me now to talk about how HSLDA is fighting to keep this family in the United States and how you can sign the petition and help support the Ramiki family. So, Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. And um, for those who aren't familiar with this story, kind of give us the background first of, of why this has uh, been an ongoing legal battle. Yeah, Jenna, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate the invitation. We find we think this is a really important story. Um, a very quick background, you know, in 2006, um, Uva and Hannah Romica decided to homeschool their kids for religious reasons. They didn't like what was being taught in schools. Uh, they were fined heavily. Um, police, armed police, came to their home to take their kids to school. Uh, they did actually force them to go to school. They removed them temporarily. They came to the U.S. in 2008 with the assistance of HSLDA. Uh, we helped them file their asylum application and walked through that process with them basically from their time of arrival in 2008 until the Sixth Circuit ultimately um, denied their asylum request in 2013. So this has been an ongoing battle. As you mentioned, they've been here for 15 years, and it's just now recently uh, kind of popped its head up again on uh, possible deportation. And and this is really amazing that the United States that has open borders welcomes you know illegal immigrants on on all kinds of different fronts uh, would actually seek to um, deport this family when clearly. Uh, they are facing threats based on their sincerely held religious beliefs, um, their choice to homeschool their children, and the um, anti-Christian elements that are back in Germany. And so why is the United States and um, an immigration in particular not helping this family? Well, I mean, I really can't speak to, you know, what has changed in the last short period of time you know, that would have caused them to, to change their kind of stance on the matter. I mean, they were basically granted indefinite deferred action status, so they could live, work, remain safely without fear of deportation. And when they went in for their annual or every, you know, every six months to a year, they go into uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. They, they have their meeting. Usually they re- reset that out for six or 12 months, and they were told, apply for German passports, uh, come back in a month, and we're going to start the process of self-deportation. Self, uh, and Really, all, the only word that we got, Jenna, was, was there was, quote, a, a change in orders. So where that came from, who that came from, you know, we really don't know at this point. That's really scary. And, you know, it's interesting because it was the Obama administration that would have granted uh, this family indefinite deferred action status in 2013. And so, um, you know, if this was, for example, if it was granted under the Trump administration and now the Biden administration is changing their policy, that might be a little bit more understandable. But um, to have no answers and just be told, well, you know, sorry, uh, pack up and, you know, return to Germany um, is really disturbing. So what is um, the Homeschool League? Defense Association doing to get answers and hopefully um, stop this so that they can stay in the United States? Well, we're working with an immigration attorney that we've worked with uh, for many years now on their case uh, on the specifics of the immigration policy, what legal avenues we have from uh, from that angle. Uh, we also have created a petition to the White House that folks can go to at hlda.org slash Romica uh, to sign that petition to the White House to allow them to remain and uh, so those are some of the things we're doing right now. There's some other angles that we're working with um, uh, some representatives. Uh, you know, they live in Tennessee. And uh, so we've got kind of a legal angle, a petition of the White House, and then potentially some, uh, some other legislative uh, angles that may be maybe at play as well. I'm speaking with uh, Kevin Bowden, who's an attorney and the director of the HSLDA International. And 
Um, you, you know, Kevin, when you're talking about le- some legislative solutions, um, that was a, a conversation that, that I had with another one of um, your former counsel at HSLDA had been working on this as well, you know, that, that potentially just because there are um, some really good legislators in Tennessee, that potentially they could step in, um, create a bill, uh, you know, have, have some other legislative solution if the Biden administration and the federal government wasn't willing to step in um, without necessarily, you know, obviously revealing any of the legal strategy, what is um, overall a possibility of a potential legislative solution? Well, I mean, as you know, and, and from talking with my predecessor, you know, the, I mean, they can, you know, legislature can introduce a bill, you know, in the House or the Senate. Um, there's process to make, to make that happen. Of course, you know, you've got to have a sponsor to put that bill forward. They have to support it. And so it, it is a possibility. It, it's one of those where, you know, at this point, we don't know um, exactly who might do that or, or what they might do. Um, we have looked into this in the past, and we've had some success with it uh, when, when this issue has cropped up, you know, about five years or so ago. And so we're continuing just to pursue all angles to help this family that's built a, a nice, peaceful life, you know, a contributing family to their community so they can stay in the U.S. and continue to do that. Yeah, and and for parents who are who are listening and are obviously and I think rightfully um, disturbed, like I am, uh, of this entire situation, um, from a from a broader perspective, you know, what what rights um, do they do the they have to petition? ICE and to say, you know, we've been here lawfully and you can't just arbitrarily say, you know, hey, we changed our policy and we suddenly decided uh, to deport you and send you back to Germany. I mean, it seems like there should be at least more elements of due process here. Um, so in in terms of just the, the broader perspective, um, how how could this even happen that they're they're in this situation to begin with? Well, you know, unfortunately, they weren't granted asylum. They weren't given any type of permanent residency status. And so they, they are in a position where the government does have the ability to, you know, as we've seen in, you know, kind of maybe some other cases, this, this idea of being in a deferred action status, you know, as long as things are, are going well, then it, it's okay. But there's no, you know, there's nothing specific that they can point to where the judge has granted them this or granted them that, that they have a you know, quote unquote, right to, to be here absent this government permission that they've been given. We thought that, you know, we, we knew that it was indefinite, um, but certainly this is a shock for it to change without warning, without notice. And suddenly to say, hey, you've got about four weeks to get a passport and look at leaving the country. Wow. And um, and so this is on HSLDA. Uh, you can go and sign this petition, uh, save homeschool refugees from being shipped back to their persecutors. And uh, this is a really incredible story. And um, so in the in the about, you know, eight minutes or so that I have with you um, left, Kevin Bowden from HSLDA um, from from a just parental rights perspective then of uh, parents who may be homeschooling and, you know, they are U.S. citizens. Um, they are looking at some of these um, issues of, of homeschooling and wanting to make sure that they are protecting um, their, their own right to choose homeschooling um, for themselves and for their families. Um, I want to ask you a little bit more than just about HSLDA broadly and how um, you help families who, um, you know, maybe they get that knock on their door from Child Protective Services or, you know, they're concerned about um, the the standardized testing or the rules in their state. Um, Overall, how can uh, parents 
find HSLDA and um, and become a member and have uh, their choice of homeschooling secured? Yeah, let me just say, you know, when, when we look at the Ramica case in particular, what it reminds me of and what I hope it reminds parents, uh, particularly homeschooling parents across the nation, is really the unprecedented level of freedom that we have as parents in this country to educate our children according to our own religion, our own conscience. And, you know, as we see with the Romica family, and I can tell you stories Jen, across the world where families simply don't have this right. It just doesn't exist. And so we are incredibly blessed in this country to be able to do this. And um, what we have found at HSLDA is that, you know, it requires effectively constant vigilance. I mean, we are just constantly watching uh, for those that maybe are familiar with our organization, you know, we've got um, a bunch of services that we offer in the legal department in particular. You know, we've got uh, six or seven attorneys that are on staff. We monitor legislation in all 50 states. Uh, we send out action alerts. And we need parents on the ground. I mean, the parents that are listening, those are the ones that when there is a threat to homeschool freedom in the form of a court case, in the form of regulation, good or bad, um, you know, it's the parents that are listening that need to actually step up, call, write, uh, go to the Capitol building uh, and actually advocate, right? They're the constituents. They're the voters. They're the voice of their communities. And so we can do what we can from HLDA, but it's really the people, and that's the beauty of our government. It's the people that have the impact and have the influence. And so if folks are interested, of course, you can go to hlda.org slash join um, or just hslda.org uh, to learn more about what we do. I, I mean, I believe in this this organization. We have been committed to homeschool freedom for 40 years. We're celebrating our 40-year anniversary this year. And we have seen homeschooling become legal in all 50 states because of the work and the partnership with parents, with state orgs, and, and with us, you know, doing what we can to help from our, from our perspective. So um, I think it's a worthwhile cause. I think it's some of the best money uh, that, a, that a family can spend um, in terms of a membership. And uh, I, I think if you join, in fact, I know if you join, you won't be disappointed, not just because of the benefit you get, but because you're investing in the future of the country, the right of your children and your grandchildren to homeschool with greater freedom and less regulation than you enjoy right now. So that's my hope for my kids. And I hope that's their, you know, the hope for the, the audience's kids as well. Yeah, really well said. Um, Kevin Bowden, attorney and director of HSLDA International. And, you know, it's such a great point that um, homeschooling, freedom and parental rights um, throughout the world are not similar to what we experience here in America. And even um, the the landscape of homeschooling over the last 40 years has really changed. Um, not only are there so many more resources, it's, um, it's more standard and um, it's something that, you know, is not uh, nearly as uncommon as it used to be um, back when my parents chose to homeschool. I mean, you know, this was this was back um, early on in, in the 80s, you know, when they chose um, to homeschool my older brother and I, and then eventually my younger brother as well. And, you know, we've benefited um, personally as a family from the resources of HSLDA. Um, you know, one of your co-founders, uh, Mike Ferris, is a very dear friend and was a personal mentor of mine going through law school and, you know, and beyond um, in, in terms of advocacy for the U.S. Constitution. And so, um, you know, I think that for for parents who are reaping the benefits of everything that has happened over the last 40 years of HSLDA, but also um, just in our American 
uh, political system as well uh, really do need to understand that it's with their participation, their advocacy, uh, that we will continue to be able to exercise these freedoms that are God-given, make the best decisions for ourselves, for our families, and uh, be able to literally raise up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so um, so I think that this is such an important um thing for people, for parents to recognize that it is through their participation. And um, so just briefly as well, um, in terms of the the contrast of what some parents are seeing that they're not able to participate in, you know, school board meetings with state funded education um, and contrasting that with homeschooling. Uh, how did you get involved in homeschooling with your family and why did you make that decision for maybe parents who are considering homeschooling, but they're just not quite there yet? Yeah, you know, we, we were not, um, I'll, I'll put it like, you know, altruistic homeschoolers. You know, when my wife and I got married, we didn't have this vision of homeschooling our kids. We kind of had a mentality of, you know, well, we can't really do that. We, do, we don't really want to be with our kids that much. We don't think we were competent to do it. And through, you know, when I was in law school, I got a chance to move to Holland to do an externship with the International Tribunal. Our daughter was in private school. We said, what should we do? They said, take the books, just teach her at home, and then re-enroll her for second grade. And, you know, we did that, of course. We took the books. We taught her at home. We realized we liked it. We realized we could do it. Um, our, again, our daughter was in first grade. Um, that daughter is now 22 years old. Um, she's in college and doing quite well, and none of our kids have been into school since. So, to the parents that don't think they can do it, um, ours is a testimony of we had that same position, and through God's providence, He put us in a position where we were forced to do it, and we found that the blessings over the last 15 years of being homeschooling parents have been, you know, almost indescribable. It's filled with joy. It's filled with challenge. It's not the easy road, but I think it's the best road, and I think it's the right road. So I'm very grateful for, uh, for our life having been pushed in that direction and it, any parent can teach their kids at home. It doesn't require money. It doesn't require a high education. Uh, it requires love for your children and a desire to teach them, uh, to teach them as best as you possibly can. And if you have those things, you can educate at home and you can do it very well and your kids will be blessed by it. As, as you have, Jenna, and you know, I am blessed by the work of those before me. And I hope that the work that I do, the work that you're doing, and the work that others that others past us will be blessed by the efforts that we're putting in now. So um, anyways, homeschooling is a huge blessing. I would encourage anyone uh, to look into it more if you have any questions at all. Yes, and um, and that's why HSLDA provides the resources and support for uh, families. And it's it's such an encouragement, Kevin, to know that um, you know even when when faced with that type of challenge, and a lot of parents experienced that through the pandemic, where they they had no choice but to homeschool their kids, and then they found out, wow, we like staying home with our kids. This is fun. This is great. This is discipleship. It's mentorship. So uh, thanks so much for joining me, Kevin. And uh, make sure that you go and sign that petition to stand with the remind and make sure that we can hopefully help them. And that's hslda.org. You can always reach me, Jenna, at afr.net. Make it a great day for the Lord. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. 
Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their network clinics rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com.